that by focusing on the patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then also Jacob's sons and we're looking at the stories that, that made them and that, that brought forward the, the beginnings of redemptive history. And this morning we're, we're looking at the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were the twin boys that were born to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, as we jump into this story, the most important question concerning this family is to whom will the blessing and promise of God flow? That's the most important question for this family at this moment in their lives. To whom will the blessing and promise of God flow? Which of the two twins will receive the blessing of God and why? Now, this obviously feels like a copy and paste, a little bit more dramatic, but a copy and paste from the births of Ishmael and Isaac. And the concept of blessing and promise, we will see it come up again later in the book of Genesis. It it continues throughout this book. Now, why is there such an emphasis on inheritance and blessing and promise in the book of Genesis? If you uh, are participating in our Bible reading plan when we read through the book of Genesis early in the year, you, you may have asked yourself that question. I see this over and over and over again, this, this focus, almost an obsession with who inherits what and, and who receives blessing and where the promise goes and what the promise does. What is it? Is this just a, a cultural thing or is something deeper going on? We have to back up before we meet Abraham. We meet Abraham in Genesis 12. Before we met Abraham in Genesis 12, We have Genesis 1 through 11. And and back in Genesis 1 through 11, what we see is the world that God made became inverted and polluted by sin and death. God created a world that merited his own blessing of very good. And God looked at all of his creation and said, this is very good. But then we know that in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And from Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis 11, what we see is the good world that God made become very bad, progressively spiraling into chaos. And by the end of Genesis 11, the world seems completely hopeless. Mankind too far fallen from Eden to ever recover what their original purpose was. And then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, we read these words. Now the Lord said to Abram. And from that point forward, through various promises and covenants, God told Abraham that he is going to save the world through his family. He says, I am remaking the world through you. I'm I'm making your family into a new nation a new humanity, a new people who will walk in my ways. And what we start to see, beginning with Abraham, is that in every generation, every generation from Abraham on, there is going to be a child who is born who will sort of be like a savior figure, a messianic foretaste or a messianic sign through whom the promise of global blessing will continue. 
And the reason that that's the case, the reason that Isaac receives a blessing and promise, the reason that we're going to see Jacob receives a blessing and promise, and it continues through the family, the reason for that is because one day, one of Abraham's sons, one of his descendants way down the line, will actually be the Messiah, who will himself save the world from sin and death. And so a child will be born through whom every promise and every covenant of God will be fulfilled. So the promises that are made to Abraham will continue to pass down through his family until the Messiah comes. Well, at this point in the story, these messianic promises, they they come through a son who will be the leader, the head of the family. And then each one of them will lead the people of God, this was the plan, lead them to receive blessing and to be a blessing to the nations. This was, this was God's plan for redemptive history. Now, Abraham had two sons, if you remember. He had one son through Hagar, Ishmael, and he had another son, Isaac, through Sarah. Now, only Isaac was the son of promise. So the messianic sign, the divine promise, passed through Isaac. And we pick up the, the story of Abraham's family with another miraculous birth. Isaac, he's now grown and he's married. His wife, Rebecca, they were longing for a son. And they were expecting a son, once again, on the basis of a promise from the Lord. But after years of waiting, no son came to them. Sound familiar? Twenty years pass before Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. Esau, the older is born first, and Jacob, the younger, is clinging on to his heel. We read in Genesis 25, he's holding on to his heel as, as he is born second. So which son is the son of promise? Which is the bearer of the messianic sign? Now, before we really jump into to all, all of that and answering that question, you need a little bit of, of background. You need some context. There are two things you need to know. First... Before Esau and Jacob were ever born, before they were born, God told Rebekah that her older son would serve her younger son. God told Rebekah that essentially the promise and the blessing will go to Jacob before they are born. This is a prophecy and a promise from the Lord that his blessing would continue through the second born son and not the first born which went against, you know, conventional wisdom and cultural practices of the time. Now, when Rebecca was pregnant, here's what we saw, that the children that were within her, they struggled together within her. And Rebecca, we're, we're told, went to the Lord in prayer, and God spoke to her, and here's what he said. He said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And this unexpected prophecy of blessing passing through the second born had an immediate and powerful and lasting impact on Rebecca and even on her parenting. From that point forward, Rebecca probably wouldn't have admitted it, but she had a favorite son from that point forward. You can probably guess who it is, the one that gets the blessing and the promise. She had a favorite son. And while, you know, Isaac probably wouldn't have admitted it either, 
he had a favorite son too, and his favorite son was Esau. And Isaac is a true man's man because Esau was his favorite because Esau brought him good food. That's why he really loved Esau. And, you know, Moses sells them out in verse 28 um, of, of chapter 25 where he says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see this from, from the very beginning. Second thing we see that we have to have as background info, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. So as the boys grew up, they developed into their own personalities. Esau, and it couldn't have been more different. Esau was gritty, he was tough, he was a gifted hunter, he was a hard worker, he was an avid outdoorsman, and, you know, probably a little bit stubborn. Jacob, on the other hand, was, was more quiet, he was calculating, he was crafty, you know, he was the, the avid indoorsman. And, you know, it actually says, you know, he, he would dwell in tents. Um, and, and Jacob also tended to be a bit manipulative. Now, one day, these personalities, they shine through in the worst ways. We read back in Genesis 25. Jacob, while he was in the tent, of course, he was cooking stew. Esau comes in from the field, from the outdoors, of course, and he was dog-tired. Esau, he was, he was a brute, remember? So, so Esau comes in. Am I good? Okay. Esau comes in, he's a brute, he's, he's exhausted, he's tired, and he just shouts for Jacob to give him some stew. Give him some stew, and it's so funny. In the Hebrew, verse 30 of chapter 25, it literally says something to the effect of, give me the red stuff. The red stuff is, is literally kind of how it's translated. It was red stew that he was making. It was like, give me the red, give me the red stuff. Esau comes in screaming, and Jacob, you know, being the crafty, manipulative younger brother that he is, he comes to Esau and he says, oh, sure, I'll give you some red stuff. First, I need you to sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright right now, and then I will give you some of the stew. And of Esau, the drama queen, he responds, I'm starving. I'm going to die if I don't have something to eat. And who cares about an inheritance at this point? Who cares about being the firstborn or having a birthright? I don't care. Just give me some of the red stuff. And so in one of the worst trades in human history, right up there with the Red Sox trading Babe Ruth to the Yankees. By the way, do you know what they traded? he traded him to the Yankees for? The Red Sox traded Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, to the New York Yankees for cash to uh, support a musical. That, literally, that's what, that's what the trade was. This trade is at least right up there neck and neck with, with that one. It's just being the worst of all time as Esau sold his rights as the firstborn over to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Okay, time passes. At the end of his life, Isaac tells Esau, his oldest and his favorite son, to go hunt for him one more time and to prepare a special meal for him just the way he likes it. And after he does that, he's going to give him the covenant blessing that God had reaffirmed to him in Genesis 26. Rebecca, she hears this conversation. When she hears it, she's devastated. Because, first of all, she favors Jacob. We can't lose sight of that. She favors Jacob. But second, she had been told by God that the older will serve the younger, not the other way around. So, she devises a very twisted plan to deceive her husband so that Jacob, the younger, and her favorite son would receive the blessing. Well, Isaac is bedridden. Isaac is blind, Isaac is near death, so the plan works. Jacob disguises himself as Esau, pretends to be Esau, 
says that he's Esau, brings food to his father as Esau would have, and receives the blessing that was meant for Esau. Now, once this plot is discovered, Isaac and Esau are are completely devastated. But at this point, nothing can be done to change what has happened. That's the gist of the story. It's a tragedy. This is a messed up family. They, They are messed up in every way. And if we wanted, we could draw a lot of examples of how to live, mostly just by observing how not to live, you know, in in this family. And we see the toxic results of Isaac and Rebecca's favoritism. I mean, we could do a whole sermon on parenting just from this passage. And we once again see the spiral of sin that can come from failing to simply trust God's word and promise. But the most important thing for us to see in this passage is found in the most repeated word, blessing. A prophetic word of blessing from God himself is pronounced upon Jacob even before the boys are born. Jacob tricks Esau out of the blessing that was culturally meant for him. As Esau trades his birthright for dinner, Isaac determines to bless Esau anyway. Rebekah plots to steal the blessing for Jacob. Jacob deceives the blessing from Isaac. Isaac blesses Jacob unknowingly. Esau begs for for more blessing from Isaac, and Isaac cannot revoke his blessing of Jacob, so Jacob is blessed and Esau is not. This blessing was a big deal. And it's not just something Isaac's family wants and chases and receives. It's something we all want. It's something we all chase. And it's something, by God's grace, we can all receive. So I want to highlight three things about the blessing from Genesis 25 and 27. First, we see here the blessing that we all want. Second, we see the path that we all take. And third, we see the only way that we can be blessed. First, the blessing we all want. The word blessing shows up in Genesis 27 alone seven times. It is the object of desire, it's the object of competition, and it brings both deep joy to the one who receives it and deep sorrow to the one passed over. So much sorrow, in fact, when Esau is is left and he's not blessed, he sets out to kill his brother. This, this is a serious, deeply important blessing. But what is it? Because when we use the word blessing today, especially in our context, it is nothing like the biblical concept of blessing. Nothing. So, so what is it? Let's observe a few things early on in this passage. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 first. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. We read here that Isaac is a very old man. He's nearing death. And, and he puts a plan into place in secret to pass on the blessing of God to his favorite son, Esau. Now, he tells Esau a few things here that give us some clues about what this blessing is. First, the first thing we see here is urgency. Do you notice this? 
as soon as Isaac realizes, I'm not going to live much longer. My life is almost over. He immediately brings his son, his favorite son, Esau. He doesn't bring the whole family in. He doesn't tell anybody else about it, just Esau. And he says, I'm about to die. I have to bless you now. And so, I mean, it raises the question, does this blessing die with, with Isaac? What's, what's, what's really going on here? But there is deep urgency in him giving the blessing to Esau. But the second thing we see is this really strange formality. You know, if, if he was so desperate to quickly get the blessing to his son Esau, when he called him in, why didn't he just bless him? Why didn't he just give it to him, you know? He doesn't. There's, there's a formal process to it. He, he doesn't just say, you're, you're blessed. Okay, glad we got that over before I breathe my last. He wants to pair the blessing with his favorite meal from his favorite son. So he asks Esau to hunt and prepare delicious food, he says, for him. He wants, he wants to bring him in. And then the third thing that we see here is, is deep intimacy. Notice what he says. He says, do all these things so that when you come back, my soul may bless you. He says, he says, so my soul will bless you. Literally, in the Hebrew, this is saying, so that my life breath may bless you. There's a sense here of absolute, effectual, solemn blessing. This is a very serious, formal thing that's happening here. And so just from these four verses, we see that Isaac's use of blessing is so very different from ours. When we tell someone, you know, to, to be blessed or, you know, we want them to, to you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how we would say it. But um, uh, whenever we want others to be blessed, we have no, it, it is in no way the same as this. We don't think of going through some formal process. It, it's really just a polite thing that we, we often say. But, but here it is very different. And then something else that, that we see as Isaac deeply desires Esau to receive this blessing. And he deeply desires him to receive the blessing, not because God told him. It's not like God told Rebecca, hey, the blessing's for Jacob. And then he told Isaac, hey, the blessing's for Esau. Isaac just wants Esau to have it. He wants him to have it so bad because he's the favorite. And then, obviously, Rebecca. Rebecca, later, she overhears Isaac's plan. And she devises her, a plan of her own to ensure that her favorite son would receive the blessing. This is something that everyone is desiring in the depths of their heart in this story what's the blessing though what's everybody you know so out of sorts about you know we actually have the blessing in this passage let's let's jump down and look at it look at verses 28 and 29 of, of genesis 27 what did isaac say to jacob who he thought was esau after jacob disguised and presented himself as esau isaac blessed him saying this May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now I got to admit, the last part of that, I can see why they would, they would want that as a blessing. The first part, it's, uh, initially I was like, wait a minute. They're willing to risk being cursed themselves for the dew of heaven. I'm sorry, what? Um, they, they, like Isaac is wanting this secret ceremony to happen for the fatness of the earth to go to his son. I don't, I don't really understand. There are a few things that mark this blessing, though. 
first, the blessing is for provision and prosperity. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. You see, dew was a common Hebrew metaphor for God's goodness and his provision. And that's because dew in in the uh, ancient Near Eastern culture in that area, it, it was the main source of water supply in the rainless summer months. Now, dew and fatness and plenty, these are metaphorical blessings of provision and prosperity. And then even more than that, the blessing is for authority and dominion, power and control. Everyone from nations to brothers will bow down to Jacob. And then finally, the blessing is for divine protection. Isaac, he quotes here that initial blessing that was given to Abraham word for word. Everyone who blesses him will be blessed, and everyone who curses him will be cursed. So once you work through some of these metaphors, you can see why the blessing is so desirable. Whoever received it received provision and prosperity, authority and dominion and protection. But this blessing is more than just a final will, you know, a Last Testament type of thing. There is power in this blessing. You know, of course, when Isaac dies, he has land and he has animals and he has family that will be given to Jacob. But this blessing is so much more than a will. It is a powerful, determinative declaration of who Jacob would become. The blessing is not a wish. This isn't, uh, I really hope things work out well for you, my son. It's, it's not a wish. They're not, they're not going to these depths of deception just to have well wishes from Isaac. This blessing is a powerful and effectual word that is consistent with the mandate and mission of God himself. This blessing from Isaac possesses within it life changing power. Here's how it worked. There's power in the words themselves. Isaac is essentially saying through this blessing, this is who you are now. This is who you are. This is who you are going to become. And, you know, as I I think about my own life, I I can't relate to, to really a lot of the language in the blessing and, you know, deathbed blessings. I've never really been a part of anything like that. I But you may have experienced something like this. Have you ever had someone you deeply respect say something to you like, one day you are going to be really special? Or something like that. I I remember one of my clearest memories from my childhood growing up in church. One of my clearest memories. I mean, I know exactly where it was. I was right to the left of the piano at the front of the church. And it was in between Sunday school and and the, the worship service. And I was walking around, and there was this older woman in our church who, who I respected. And I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And she comes up to me, and it was so striking what she said, I'll never forget. She looked at me, and she said, how can I pray for you? I want to pray for you this week. How can I pray for you? And, I mean, it, the way that she, how serious she was with me, and how I could see how much she cared for me in her eyes, I responded to her honestly. And I was like, you know, at the time, 
uh, I, my parents had probably drilled this into my head. I, I was really impatient. You know, they probably, I probably just that week, you know, something had probably happened, and they were just like, you're so impatient, you have to work on this. And so that was what was on my mind. And so I told her, I said, I want to be more patient. I want to be more patient. And what she said back to me, I'll never forget. And it was really simple. She looked at me and she said, I'm going to pray for God to make you patient. And you will be patient. I've never forgotten that. There wasn't magic like incantation like in, in the words as if because she said them, you know, I eventually became a you know, more patient person, I will say God made me a pastor, so I don't know, maybe that was his answer to the prayer, right? Um, and, you know, gave me three boys, maybe that was an answer to the prayer. But I will say, when someone you deeply respect declares something like that to you, I'm going to pray for this to happen, you are going to be a more patient person. You almost feel like you owe it to him. You know, when things would happen, there were occasions for me to grow in patience. I would, I would take advantage of them. I, I would feel, you know, sorrow over, over allowing impatience to, to overcome my heart. It was powerful. Now, you may have experienced something like that. You may not have. But can you imagine a word like this coming from someone who themselves possessed the promise and blessing of God? This blessing from Isaac is kind of like that. One commentator I read this week, he said, fundamental to the whole story of Genesis 27 is the conviction of the efficacy of the deathbed blessing. What the patriarch says before he dies determines the destiny of his descendants. And he goes on later to say that this blessing is more than a prayer for the future. It's a prophecy whose fulfillment is certain. And that's why Rebecca is so desperate to make sure Jacob gets the blessing before Esau. And that's why Isaac can't have a do-over. You know, later, later in the story, Isaac finds out really quickly that he just blessed Jacob and not Esau. And he wanted to bless Esau. Why can't he just do it over? You ever thought that? Like, just, like, I mean, Isaac, my man, just, like, take it back. Like, no take-backs here? No take-backs here. No take-backs with this blessing. And Esau is so devastated three times at the end of the passage. He says, bless me, even also me, my father. Bless me, please bless me. But Isaac can't. Isaac says in verse 33 that he can't take the blessing back. He says, indeed, Jacob has been blessed. I didn't want to bless him. I didn't want to bless him. I wanted to bless you. But I blessed Jacob. And so Isaac says to Jacob, this is who you are. Secure and prosperous. Authoritative and safe. These words enabled Jacob to be who he was declared to be. They're powerful words. And it's the life-changing power of these words that Jacob and Rebekah craved and chased so much. And this is the blessing that we all want. We want this. And you may not care too much for the dew of heaven. You may not care too much for the fatness of the earth. And maybe nations bowing to you isn't, you know, on your bucket list. But we all desire and chase the security of divine goodness, provision, and protection. 
we all desire in the depths of our hearts to be accepted and to be approved by other people. We, we all desperately want our lives to count for something, and we want others to see that we matter. We all desire to be in control of our lives, and we all desire to dictate our own future. But I think even more than that, even more than the content of the blessing, what we really want, what this passage shows us, is what the blessing does for the recipient. We want the assurance that this blessing brings. We want to hear from someone with the authority to make it happen. This is who you are. In a world where we are trying to figure out who we are, trying to carve out our own spaces in this world, even, even in the church world, like who are we in the church? That's probably the, a, a question that we wrestle with more than anything else. Who am I? We want to hear from someone who has the authority to give us the assurance and say, this is effectual. This isn't a well wish. This is effectual and powerful. This is who you are. That's what we want. Now, how do we try to get it, the path that we take? So if that's the blessing we all want, what's the path that we all take? The path we all take is really similar from the path that Rebecca and Jacob took. Rebecca and Jacob took a path of desperation and deception. Rebecca is so desperate. She is so desperate for Jacob to receive the blessing. She even tells Jacob, who, by the way, is upset about doing it, not because it's wrong, but because he's afraid he'll get caught. And, and so when he's afraid he's going to get caught, he tells, his, he tells his mom, he says, hey, he may catch me. And if he catches me, I can promise you I'm not going to receive blessing. I'm going to receive a curse. He's going to curse me. Rebecca is so desperate for Jacob to get the blessing and to take that risk that she tells him, if that happens, the curse will fall on me. May the curse fall on me. Rebecca is willing to take a curse from God in order for her son to attempt to steal this blessing. She is chasing after it. And, and then, you know, Jacob, J Jacob uh, in his deception, the way, the lengths that he goes to deceive his father, this is an elaborate plan full of deceit and manipulation. Both Rebecca and Jacob are willing to compromise their conscience, to compromise their convictions, in order to receive this blessing. Because in their minds, receiving the blessing from Isaac justified even the most heinous of actions. Now, what's, what's going on here? We see a spiritual problem. It is not wrong for us to desire the things that Rebecca and Jacob are desiring. It is not wrong for Rebecca and Jacob to desire this blessing. It is that good. It is not wrong for us to desire uh, security and satisfaction and safety in life. It, it is not wrong for us to desire those things. But there's a spiritual problem at play here. You may not know this about Jacob. Every time I've read this story, I always assume that Jacob was a teenager. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe I saw it in a book or something, like just pictures, and he was depicted that way. It's probably because of the way that they interact with each other. Jacob is, at his, at his youngest, most commentators believe, 40. Jacob's no younger than 40 years old, and he may be up to 75 years old. And here he is. What do you want me to do next, Mom? You know, there's this, there's this spiritual immaturity, you know, that, that comes upon uh, Jacob here. I mean, he, he should have easily been able to say, you want me to do what? Are you crazy? No, I love you, Mom. But no, 
I'm not doing that. That is wrong. God has promised that the blessing will come to me. I trust him. Let's trust the Lord here. No, that's not what he does. He doesn't rest in God's timing. He tricks his dad. And then Rebecca. Rebecca knew better. She should have known better. She heard the prophecy from God herself that the older would serve the younger. But she did not trust God's promises. She took matters into her own hands. And there is a lesson for us here. We cannot have it both ways. We cannot follow our own path and follow Jesus. We cannot trust God and disobey God. This hypocrisy will end in disaster. The path that we take to get this blessing is usually our own path. If Isaac knew of God's promise to bless Jacob and not Esau, then his favoritism led him to take his own path and bless Esau instead. Rebecca, though she knew God's promise well, feared that it would not come to pass. And so she took her own path. Jacob, he takes his own path as well, deceiving his father to secure what he feared he would lose. We are prone to take our own path to receive the blessing that we all want. We want the blessing of security, of goodness and prosperity. We want to be secure in ourselves as people, in our lives. But we try to find it through our careers. We try to find it through the myriad of identities that we use to impress other people. We want the blessing of dominion, meaning that we want to be sovereign over our own lives. We want to be in control. We want to know what's coming next. We don't want to be taken off guard. We don't want to be surprised. But we try to find that outside the will and ways of God. We exert unhealthy control over our children or our spouses. Or we try to control the circumstances in our lives so that we can remain comfortable. And then when anything threatens our own autonomy to determine our future, we react, we rebel, we try to make our own way. And then we want the blessing of, of uh, listen, these blessings... They are good things, and it is good to desire them. But they can be hijacked by the deceitfulness of sin to lead us into chasing after it on our own path. We are just like the people of Babel. You remember them? Rebelling against God for the sake of feeling content and secure in themselves. These same desires for blessing were hijacked by the serpent in the garden when he tempted Adam and Eve to find what their hearts desired apart from God's promise, this is the story of fallen humanity. In what ways are you prone to take your own path to find blessing? How are you prone to do that? It will look different for each of us. Maybe it's through performance. Do you work really hard to prove that you are worthy? both before God and other people. Maybe it's through control. Do you want others to essentially bow down to your way of doing things just so you can feel a sense of security? Sin is so deceptive, and it will convince you that you can prove yourself worthy, that you are sufficient to find blessing on your own, that you are justified 
to take it, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences. But the moment we take our own path to prove our own worthiness, we will eventually prove that we are unworthy. And that gets us to the only way that we can receive true blessing. The only way that we can receive true blessing. Despite all we've seen in this passage, and we've seen two thefts, right? A stolen birthright, a stolen blessing. Despite all that we've seen, true blessing cannot be stolen. And true blessing cannot be won. It cannot be earned. And what God is showing us through this messed up family is that true blessing is never deserved. Isaac believed Esau deserved the blessing. Why? Well, because he was the favorite. He was a great hunter. He cooked good food. He was the firstborn. Rebecca believed Jacob deserved the blessing. Why? Well, because he was her favorite. And also, because God had said the older would serve the younger. But what's the truth? The truth is, Neither of them deserve the blessing. What we see at the end of of chapter 26, the very end of Genesis 26, is that Esau married into the Canaanite line. It's almost a passing thought there. But but this created a lot of bitterness in Isaac and Rebekah. This was contrary to his parents' wishes. Esau was a likable brute, but he was impatient and immature. He was willing to trade his birthright for stew. Jacob first tricked Esau out of his birthright, then tricked his father to bless him. He was manipulative and deceptive, thinking of himself first in all circumstances. And the turmoil in this family stretched all the way back to the turmoil that Rebecca felt in her own womb before the boys were born. But she knew that the turmoil within her then, and even in an ultimate sense now that they're grown, was not of her or Isaac's making, but it was actually part of a divine plan that God was working out for his own purposes and his own glory. How did Jacob receive the blessing he so desperately wanted? Ultimately, it wasn't because he had been more clever than Esau. Ultimately, it was because God chose to bless the younger brother, not the older. Isaac did not intend it, but the blessing he bestowed upon Jacob was final and effectual. Jacob was blessed. And that's because in God's economy, here's the way it works, the order of nature does not determine the order of grace. It's the second-born son. See, in this culture, the second-born son did not have the inheritance rights of the firstborn. What Isaac was doing here in trying to bless Esau is culturally right. But God chose to bless the younger brother. (laughs) Isaac didn't want to bless him, yet he blessed him. And we see this all over the book of Genesis. The younger brother, Abel, his offering is accepted, not Cain's. Younger brother Isaac is chosen, not Ishmael. Joseph, the youngest of Jacob's sons, was chosen over his brothers. This pattern of unexpected grace continues into the New Testament. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 
but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Tradition does not determine grace. Conventional wisdom does not determine grace. Personal desires do not determine grace. Individual giftedness, human power do not determine grace. God's grace is not determined by anything except for his own will. It's not subject to social status or privilege. And most significantly, Paul argues this principle in Romans 9. And, and he's, he's here showing that the, the natural descent, the Jewish lineage, does not guarantee salvation. And he refers to Jacob and Esau, and here's what he says in Romans 9. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, she was told the older will serve the younger. Notice, in all of this, God offers no explanations. He makes no apologies. The love of God transcends human convention here. The sovereign grace of God does not bow to the order of nature or to human expectations or desires. He is free, gloriously free, in bestowing his grace on the sinners like us. God's purposes of grace are just as set and determined as they are incomprehensible. Now, even though I know that you desire blessing in your life for your children, for your family, for your friends, I also know that you may feel like you don't deserve blessing. You want it, but you may feel this morning that you do not deserve it. You may feel like you failed too much, you've sinned too much, or that God would never see fit to bless a nobody like you, especially in this type of way. Dominion? Authority? No. If you feel this way, please remember the story of Jacob and Esau. No one deserved blessing less than Jacob. Yet he is the one who received it. It feels unfair. When you read the story, you feel kind of sorry for Esau. You're like, I mean, he's not a good guy, but man. Jacob gets all this stuff. It can't be undone. This is the lesson that God is teaching us here. He received blessing, not because he turned his life around, but because God, in his surprising, relentless grace, chose to bless him in the same way God has chosen to bless you in Jesus. Not because you deserve it, but because he wants to do it. True blessing is not deserved. It is given. Jacob could not just steal this blessing, even though he thought that's what he had done. He thought he had, he had been crafty and clever enough and he was successful and, whoo, I didn't get caught. And I have the blessing now, and I took it. And before he was born, the Lord had seen fit to bless 
Jacob and not Esau. Blessing is given as a gift to the undeserving. And it comes only through a future son of Abraham, Jesus of Nazareth. The one through whom all the promises of God will be fulfilled. The one on whom God the Father bestowed the blessing. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. By God's grace, he extends this blessing to you. Powerful, unchangeable words of hope that will shape you into what and who you were always meant to be. A child of the living God. By faith in Jesus, you step into the eternal blessing that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You receive the security, the satisfaction, the safety that your heart longs for in part now and full later. And and how does he do it? How can God bless someone so undeserving as Jacob, someone so undeserving as you, someone so undeserving as me? You know who gives us a hint? Surprisingly, Rebecca. You remember what she said when Jacob feared the consequences of his actions? Jacob said, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. You see what Jacob realizes here? What you and I should realize. He knows that his deception would prove just how much he doesn't deserve the blessing. He feels that he's unworthy and undeserving, and he fears the curse as much as he craves the blessing. But what does Rebecca say in verse 13? Turn your eyes to verse 13. Let your curse be on me, my son. This is how God can bless the undeserving, the Jacobs of the world. Because through his death on the cross, Jesus says to us, let your curse be on me, my child. Let your curse be on me. Jesus took the curse of sin, the judgment we deserve, on himself. Though he deserved only blessing and we deserve only curse, Jesus took our place. He stood in for us and because he did, we receive a blessing that we could never find on our own path, that we could never steal, and that we would never deserve. He looks on us and he says, you are my son and in you I am well pleased. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for the blessing that is ours in Christ. You have hardwired our hearts to desire security and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and love. And we look for these things in all kinds of sources that constantly fail us. We are deceptive and manipulative to the core. And we are so undeserving of this blessing But you saw fit, your sovereign grace, to choose the undeserving. To give us and show us your grace so that we might be blessed eternally in Christ. We thank you for this blessing. Pray that you would help us to live it out and to be a blessing to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. Let's respond to the word of the Lord through song.